0: Rhythmics there. There must be an angel. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. I am delighted to have Sean Mulcahy on the line from the Rainbow Community Angels and the Pride Lobby's Rainbow Local Government Campaign. Sean, welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you, James. Always a pleasure to be on.
0: A big week for the Angels in Eltham for Ida Hobbit. Tell us all about it.
1: Yeah, a fantastic week for the Angels. So, as your listeners might well know, there's been a lot of attention on drag story time events throughout Victoria and also across Australia. And we're seeing this attention resulting in councils making the unfortunate decision to cancel these events going ahead. And what we thought was we as a community need to get together to come together and to support these events to be able to go ahead safely and joyfully. But the Rainbow Community Angels is all about having a team of people there that are present in the event, donned in beautiful angel wings to celebrate the event and to make a safe passage for the kids and their parents that are going to these particular events. Now, Elton Library, under a lot of opposition, made the difficult decision to move their Drag story time event online. But we said we would stick with them, and we did. And we turned up there at Eltham Library and we had a wonderful time there with um, kids, their parents, who were reading books with drag queens. And we were able to support them to have a wonderful uh, time just outside the library in Eltham. So I think what it's shown is that if we get the community together and that we support these events, uh, they can go ahead harmoniously and, and quite joyfully.
0: It's been a couple of days since the the celebration at the library. I saw the video of it. It was truly joyous. You sound quite emotional reflecting on it. You know, it's like you've had a chance to breathe and the emotions coming up.
1: Well, it's a lot of um, uh, it's a lot of emotional burden. I mean, it's a quite an unusual situation that we're in, James. Where we're now starting to have to consider. Uh, what happens if an event goes ahead and Nazis turn up? I mean, in 2023 in Victoria, they actually saying that there's a risk that uh, Nazis will turn up to council libraries to hectare parents and their children that are just going in to have a storytime event uh, to improve children's literacy and to have a fun time for the kids and the parents. It's just a shocking state of affairs that we've got to that point. But I'm also incredibly uplifted by the community support that has been shown and what it's also shown is that we can run events like this effectively with the community being there to protect our own community. It
0: really was a celebration and I mean the angels and their supporters far outnumbered the people who were opposed to the event. I mean I counted on a video, I think it was about 15 people in opposition to it and dozens of people with wings and you know gorgeous rainbow flags it was beautiful to watch.
1: It was, and it just reflects the reality that this is an incredibly small but incredibly vocal minority of people that um, oppose events such as these and want to uh, have their voices heard, when actually the majority of the community backs these events, and that's what was shown. You know, the angels and those with us outnumbers um, those opposed something like three to one, and It was a wonderful time, and we were able to create that by having that community presence there to make the event safe and joyful.
0: Absolutely. Of course, you are from the Victorian Pride Lobby's local government campaign, the Rainbow local government campaign, and um, I wouldn't say you've done yourself out of business, but 79, all 79 councils in Victoria flew the Pride flag for either Hobbit. That was your goal. Well done.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And of course, it's hugely significant, James, given these kinds of events and these attacks that have been happening at council libraries on LGBTQ plus inclusion. So it was so significant to see every single council across the state fly the rainbow flag in support of their LGBTQ plus communities on this day and to have the Victorian Parliament join in as well too, which is a a celebration and a recognition of the work of councils across the state to get us to this point.
0: Yeah, it really was a strong statement from the Victorian government, wasn't it? Having drag story time uh, at Parliament House. I mean, I know we look at these protests and go, oh my God, how did we get here? But what a turn of events, having drag queens reading books to kids at the Parliament. Uh, You know, it's it's a great action for visibility and it says a lot about the support from the government.
1: It absolutely is and I hope that um, councils across the state are heartened by what happens um, in Eltham, uh, at Victorian Parliament and just today um, at Oakley where the community got together and staged their own drag story time outside the library again. Again, a wonderful, joyous, uplifting event where we were able to stand by each other through this. You know, it's an incredibly difficult time um, with these attacks on councils, but I hope that they can look at what's happened um, over the past few days and hold some hope that uh, we can do these events um, in a safe way and in a joyous way as well too.
0: They are attacks on councils. I mean, it's not just drag storytime events. It's council meetings across Victoria that have been disrupted. Uh, And, of course, there was, um, you know, police advice that these drag storytime events not happen. And they put them in the context of these disruptions of council meetings. Who's causing all this? Where is it coming from? Is it a a group of disaffected individuals? Is it a concerted campaign on the internet that's instigated from overseas? Like, what's the story?
1: It's a really good question, James. And as somebody that's been working um, with local government for years around LGBTIQA plus inclusion, this attack on councils is quite a new phenomenon. And I think it's the same kind of people that are going to council meetings, asking questions about whether 15-minute cities are a UN-imposed agenda to lock people down in their homes and whether mandatory masking will be instituted again and whether councils are going to require mandatory COVID vaccination. I think what we've seen is that um, during the COVID lockdown, people have moved from a situation where they would move about the community and meet with people that they don't normally interact with. In the COVID lockdown situation, most people are um, stuck at home uh, they miss that connection to the broader community and get caught up in very online spaces and often can fall down into a rabbit hole of deep conspiracy theories. So it's important for us to put in context where these attacks on Drag story time and other LGBTQA plus inclusion initiatives are coming from. But it's also important for us to recognise that this is a coordinated attack um, from a number of... Um, groups that harbour deep conspiracy theories um, related to COVID and other matters as well, too. This isn't just ordinary community members uh, expressing their differences of views on a particular topic. This is um, a coordinated campaign of uh, folks that are deeply disaffected in society,
0: So they got caught up in it during COVID, brainwashed if you like. The lockdowns have lifted and so now they need a new focus and that's why they've turned to other conspiracy theories but also drag story time.
1: And we also have to remember that local council is the level of government that's closest to the community. You can't go to your state parliament or your federal parliament turn up and ask a question during um, the proceedings of that parliament. You can do that with local councils and we've seen these disaffected Um, communities organise around that um, in terms of appearing at council meetings, uh, asking questions and sometimes uh, getting quite vocal in their opposition. We saw that at Monash, banging on windows, hurling abuse, um, attracting uh, far-right elements along as well too. It's also really important that we... Consider the implications of cancellations as well, too, um, because whilst we all want to put the safety of the community first, we need to recognise that cancelling events only emboldens those that are opposed and leads them to go on and target other events in other municipalities. So I hope that councils and the police can see the effectiveness of what was done at Eltham Library in terms of the Rainbow Community Angels supporting a wonderful and positive event, this is a model for how we successfully run those events in the future because we know that if you cancel the event, that only emboldens the opposition and they'll go on to attack um, other events. Well,
0: it's like bullying, isn't it? If you let bullying continue, it flourishes. It gets worse. It doesn't just stop because the bullies had their go. They become emboldened and they, they up the ante.
1: That is incredibly true. I think it's a really good um, analogy. It, it's weird And that's what it is. It's, it's little more than petty, childish bullying. But at the same time, too, you know, if councils are in an incredibly difficult situation. They um, want to and need to put the safety of the community first. But what's really important is that they work with community on what we can do to make that event safe, because we have to recognise that cancelling might not actually be the safest option after all if it goes on to lead to other attacks down the
0: track. And it was a real shock for our community for all of a sudden, I think it was five Isla Hobbit uh, drag story times to be cancelled. Uh, you know, in pretty quick succession, that just happened. And all of a sudden, we found ourselves in a situation that perhaps we weren't expecting a couple of weeks ago. And all of that, of course, with the uh, anti-drag rhetoric that's sweeping state legislatures in the US. It's almost like the waves hitting us. And it's been a terrible shock for our community.
1: It doesn't really feel like that, James. It feels like an imported culture war from the United States. And I can tell you, speaking to councillors across the state, from rural, regional to city, across the political divides, they're not paying much credence to these um, culture warriors uh, that want to um, bang on their drum at council meetings. Um, so that's really encouraging to hear. But we also know, as your listeners would well know, as you know yourself, James, that whenever we make progress on LGBTIQA plus inclusion, there's always going to be some degree of opposition to that. And we've been really lucky so far. We've made significant strides in local government. The flying of all the flags on Idaho, it is just one case in point. Uh, and now we're seeing that people are unhappy with the progress that we've made, and they're making their voices heard on that particular issue. But that's that's really important for our community, but also for our elected representatives to stick by us through this particular point in time, because I'm sure that this too will pass um, and that these um, conspiracy theorists will move on to something else. But that's why it's just so important for um, communities to gather together to support one another and for our council our councillors,
0: our council officers, to stand with us through this. Sean Mulcahy, it's always great to hear your voice on 3CR. Congratulations on the Rainbow Community Angels to you and all the team. I know Fliss Marlow's been a driving force behind it. uh, And yeah, just the whole team, you know, thank you on behalf of the community for seeing that blueprint.
1: Thank you. It's and so I should important. also give a very big shout out to the wonderful drag artist Dean Arkuri, also known as Brock Hudson. Dean's been through a lot over the past few weeks, but it was so wonderful to see Dean um, there at Eltham able to read stories to kids who absolutely loved it. I mean, just watch the videos, the joy in their eyes is something to behold. And I think, I think. I think we're turning the tide. I think this is a significant moment and I think we're going to start to see um, things moving back in our direction again, very, very soon, if not already.
0: Fingers crossed, Sean, and thanks for your great work. Thanks, Jenny. Sean Mulcahy, there you are and in your face on 3CR. And here are the Versace boys, Gin and Cucumber. Mm
2: that feeling, hearts we were stealing, love we were dealing, take my breath away, Moments were numbing, gin and cucumber, mm. giving the back, keep that hangover, for a bit.
3: like sage sticks, we be blowing too much, it's Jamaican, what we making, I be fading every day when I know what we did, got that dedication, you got that out-control mind and soul, you're so colorful like a damn rainbow, I actually am an addict for you like I'm Spanish when we tango, you're delicious more sweeter than a mango, Dark with the leaves when we blowing trees by the beach, when we feel like we most minded at peace Rest of my summer, Saturn or it's Pluto I want the galaxy so you can be my star Europe in June and summer is smooth Spring is my mood and you are my groove Bounce for me, bounce for me, be my little skater My fountain, my fountain, you gon' hydrate like a waiter you bring, a adore each mom with you, you make me shout and sing, still whisper poems to you, remember the time that we were drinking wine just by the river, you got me so high I touch the sky whenever I am with you, the sweetest light supreme in my eyes, I think you're my scripture, dreaming ignite colors about you, paint my world picture, even right now the moment is share with you is special, and when we feel down I'll pick you up and make you settle, you flutter by, you butterfly. do what you best do, sorry when I'm rude, give Trevor credit. I feel perspective, I'm high, I feel so weightless And write a letter to you, telling you I'm crazy Love is a thing that we do, I say we don't waste it I wanna start with you, will you be my baby?
0: Saatchi boys there. I'm joined by political commentator Neil Farrow. Neil, welcome back to the show.
4: It's great to be back. How are you?
0: I'm well. I'm just digesting all of the events in Victorian politics over over the last week. Uh, Let's start with drag story time at Parliament. Uh, What great leadership from the government and uh, what a great blueprint from the uh, Rainbow Community Angels uh, out out at Eltham for Ida Hobbit. Uh, So we're really fighting back against this bigotry.
4: Look, I think um it was really important for on Idaho Day for Parliament House to be a safe place for everyone who had been a sort of unable to participate in drag story time. I know there are a number of different libraries and councils and community members uh, who weren't able to participate across Victoria. Um, and it was really great for the government, the Premier, and obviously the Minister for uh, Equality, Harriet Shing, to step up and, and host a at Parliament House, which is, of course, a very safe place and sends a very strong message across Victoria um, that all LGBTIQ Victorians are, are welcome, appreciated and valued by both the government and by the community.
1: It's been a
0: big few weeks for Harriet Shing with all of these attacks on drag. Uh, Yeah, have you had a chance to talk to her? Like, how's she travelling?
5: Look, I haven't
4: spoken to Harriet recently, but I do know she's been very, very busy with a number of different projects on. And and one of the things that I really love and appreciate about Harriet is just how down-to-earth and approachable she is and and how much she genuinely cares about this space and how committed she is to the community generally. So um, when I read about sort of Harriet Suggesting the drag, uh, drag story time at Parliament House is definitely sort of something that, um, I know she'll continue to fight for at Parliament House and beyond. And, and look, I just think it's really great that she's reaching out and supporting our community and what can be a very turbulent time. Um, and for a lot of people, a time of reflection. So remembering that Ida Hobbit Day originally, uh, commemorated the decision to remove homosexuality from the International Classification of Diseases back in 1990 which may feel like a long time ago, but that was within my lifetime. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's really great to see her out championing it around Idaho a day and, and fighting back over the number of issues that our community is facing from, at the moment, the far right and, and their beliefs around the world.
0: You mentioned turbulence. The turbulence in the Victorian Liberal Party is not going away. What are your thoughts?
5: I think it's a really interesting
4: balance because there are some nice people within, uh, despite being uh, a former Labor politician or or candidate, there are some really nice people within the Liberal Party, but the unfortunate thing is they've got this rump of lunatics, um, which is probably the only way you can describe them, who just have views and a mindset that is just very different to the rest of Victorians. And we only need to rewind back to last year's state election where, you know, the Liberal Party announced that if elected, they would reintroduce gay conversion therapy and if elected, they would reintroduce the right for religious schools to discriminate against LGBTIQ people. And you've got to wonder what is driving these sorts of policies when most Victorians are are pretty decent, progressive, nice people. But there are some great people out there, but it's just a shame that the majority of the Liberal Party seems to hold this sort of very conservative rump of an attitude in this space.
0: I mean, John Pizzuto reportedly won the leadership by one vote. Uh, His leadership is constantly being undermined. There's all this turbulence surrounding it. Uh, Yes, he has taken a stand on some issues, but Let's face it, the bar was pretty low. I can't see him going to the next election as leader, can you?
4: Look, this is one of these unfortunate things. I actually think it's in the best interest uh, if someone like John Pesciuto does stay as leader because, you know, notwithstanding, I don't agree with his political or ideological views, he's much more sensible, much more centrist and much more pragmatic than a lot of the people within the Liberal Party. Um, But obviously, if the Liberal Party keeps putting sort of lunatics and nutters up, um, you know, there'll be political consequences in Victoria at the ballot box. But, you know, we really do need um, a Liberal Party that progresses and moves on around LGBTI issues, around climate issues, around, you know, all of the issues which um, should be settled in Australia but continue to unfortunately be... um, debated as if um, there's more controversy than there needs to be.
0: bit of argy-bargy going on between the Labor Party and the Greens over LGBTIQ anti-vilification law. The Greens say they want it now. Jacqueline Symes is saying, yeah, the government's going to do it this term, but they're not going to bring a bill on for 18 months because it's complex and they need to do all the groundwork. Uh, what do you make of it?
4: So, look, I've always been um, slightly cynical of some of the more sort of meme-worthy or publicity stunts that come from the Greens, and, and notwithstanding I'm on the left of politics and, and my colours clearly pinned to the Labor mask. I actually think there's a degree of sort of um, fact and, and sort of relevance in taking these things more slowly and and appropriately. And, and, you know, it's not as if there's a deferring tactic from Labor. Labor's been very good at state level on LGBTI issues. So if somebody like Jacqueline Symes, who's been a long-term supporter of LGBTI law reform says there's complexities and issues in this space and we need to work through them, um, you should probably believe her in the first instance, and, and I definitely do, notwithstanding the fact we should continue to put the pressure on and, and make sure the laws are passed. But these things are complex and there is often unintended consequences. And, and it's one thing to sort of shout on the mound and you know demand certain things. It's another thing to reach consensus and bring people along with you. And um, recognising that we do have a... a carefully balanced up a house in Victoria, we need to make sure that there's support for crossbenchers for these sorts of laws, and we also need to make sure there's the support of the community. Um, And if done well, that should be able to hold even changes of government in Victoria such that the laws remain in the longer term. So, you know, (laughs) caution slowly and and don't let... Perfect. Get in, don't let good get in the way of perfect. But at the same time, um, don't sort of accelerate things where you know there's a genuine desire and interest from people like Jacqueline and Harriet to get a really good outcome out of this. And and the last thing we want is sort of rushed reforms in this space as well.
0: It's interesting, though, isn't it? Like, Labor kind of shot itself in the foot and gave the Greens an opening by saying there's going to be staff cutbacks at the Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission. So, of course, even if this vilification law passes, there'll be less staff to handle those complaints. That kind of gave, gave the Greens an opening to kind of, you know, start debate on this issue, didn't it?
4: Yeah, potentially. I think, you know, the public service, and and we'll know more details next week, and and I don't have any other information other than what's been in the media, but, you know, it is a challenging time for the state budget, and I think there'll be changes across the public service, across the board. Obviously, we've got to consider them after the budget's released next Tuesday at state level. Um, But I think with a lot of these things, wait and see. What does the budget actually say? What is the impact and consequences? Um, You know, if it's happening to every government department, then, you know, that's sort of the purview of government to try and prioritize where they think fit. So, you know, I do think they were clutching at straws a little bit at going after some of those things, particularly with people like Harriet and Jacqueline, who are very supportive of these issues. You know, it would be one thing if it was a conservative government and they were using them as delaying tactics, as we saw federally with Scott Morrison in that space. But you know, I think they're genuinely committed to it and it's just time to work it through. And and often in this space, it's really important to bring people along with you. And there's a large number of the legal fraternity Barristers and solicitors, we're working this through and getting a good outcome is probably really important if we want this to hold in the longer term.
0: Politics of course is full of ironies and what an irony with the uh, inquiry that was uh, suggested and there was a vote on it in the upper house, a rent crisis inquiry Uh, it failed because the government was bailed out by of all people Adam Zoburek and Moira deeming it was tied 19 19 apiece, the vote, Uh, so the inquiry's not happening, Uh, what do you make of all that. Uh, it, is a, it is an issue the Greens are cutting through on.
4: So look, I think the rental space is an interesting one and when I ran for Parliament uh, a couple of times over, it was something I was very passionate about advocating for around reforms in strata titles and re- reforms for things like embedded networks and some of the other complexities that happen when you live in apartment style living. Um, to sort of respond in this space, we know what the problems are in relation to renting. So apart from sort of spending time and taxpayer money on another inquiry which will tell us what we already know about the rental crisis which is you know there's issues around supply and demand there's issues on access and affordability um there's not really too much else an inquiry would tell us it's just government trying to find a solution in this space and and I do think it is a bit hypocritical and Julian Hill came out uh, against this I think the other day and said you know it's great that the greens are wanting an inquiry Into the rental market in Victoria, but at the same time they're refusing to support Labor's housing plan federally, which is a ten billion dollar fund to build. I think, and I can't remember the exact numbers, but I think it's like five thousand or fifty thousand houses. I don't quote me on the numbers because I am not familiar. But it was an, you know, a ten billion dollar fund for housing is being held up by the Greens federally, and yet at state level they're complaining there's not enough housing. It's like, well, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You know, get your federal colleagues to support the housing plan. And if it doesn't go far enough, let's keep campaigning and advocating and improving it. So, um, yeah, I think the state and federal Greens political parties should perhaps talk to each other a little bit more in that space.
0: But it is ironic, isn't it? Adam Somurek and Moira Deeming siding with Labor. I mean, your mates in the Labor caucus must be kind of thinking that's quite ironic.
1: Oh, look, it's a very
4: interesting thing, the upper house, uh, and there's lots of curiosities and quirks in that area. As I said, I I don't know Moira or Adam um, personally or, or well, so I can't comment as to sort of why they may or may not have supported it. Um, but if you're drilling down on Upper House records, I know that the Greens have voted with the Libs a lot more often than the Greens have voted with Labor. So, you know, it depends on the issue and it depends on the circumstances. Um, but, yeah, I, I can't comment as to why Adam and um, and Moira made their vote the way it is, although it is quirky and, you know, who knows what will happen in the next Upper House vote. <laughs>
0: Interesting in relation to next week's budget, Andrews is saying um, we're going to be paying off the COVID credit card, uh, but he's also saying all those election commitments will be honoured. That's quite a balancing act.
4: Look, it is a a balancing act, but one thing that has been really consistent throughout um, the last few years of government in Victoria... Um, particularly since I've been involved politically, has been you know a real desire from uh, I know the Labor caucus and 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 Labor members to actually undertake whatever election commitments they made and make sure they were delivered. And I think there's you know a degree of trust that's built with the electorate in doing so. It will be a really difficult balancing act with inflation as it is, and and there may be some surprises in the budget that you or I. Um, aren't aware of and you know normally this time out we'd be getting a lot more leaks in the budget than we have given it's only a few days away so you know you never know whether that's a good or a bad thing that there's lots of leaks or little leaks but um, normally you'd know a little bit more about the state budget this far out So it's interesting that we'll see how that all lands next week. And and look, I'm hopeful that a lot of the commitments will be maintained, but recognise that, you know, circumstances are quite complex at the moment. Um, And there has been a lot of investment around things like infrastructure and development. And, and, you know, we all need to take that into consideration um, when budget time comes.
0: The Herald Sun reported recently that Roe Allen could be the next governor of Victoria. What are your sources saying about that? Is there anything in that?
4: Look, I think um, I, I'm not sure the background of that story. And I think, you know, it's really great to get members of the LGBTI community included in that space. Um, my personal vote, not that I'd, I'd get a say on this, is I think it's about time that we had a First Nations Australian uh, as a governor in Victoria. Um, that would be my my personal preferences. I think that time has come. Um, but clearly it's not up to me. So uh, that will be a decision for the Premier and Cabinet is who they'd suggest as the next governor of Victoria, but there's definitely some really high-caliber candidates who are in the mix, and um, it's really good sort of whatever happens, that for the first time there's LGBTIQ people in that mix as well, Um, as as there was, I think, First Nations people included in that potential shortlist. But you've always got to take these things with a grain of salt um, because you don't know who's leaking them, who's providing them, and to what purpose. So, you know... That's a more sceptical one, just like judicial appointments are sometimes a bit curious in who's on the shortlist and who actually makes it.
6: Well,
0: it could be a bit of wily leaking from the government itself. I mean, if there's going to be cuts at the Equal Opportunity Commission, uh, and if Roe Allen thinks they might be the next governor, they might be a bit more muted in any criticisms of any funding cuts. So it could be something quite strategic that's come out of the Premier's office, for all we know.
4: Oh, potentially, as I said. I I have, unfortunately, no information in relation to that. But um, as I said, either way, I think it's great that there's uh, a bit more diversity on on whatever lists have come out, whether they were deliberately or inadvertently um, released to the press.
0: Neil Farrow, always great to chat with you on 3CR, and welcome back after your wonderful trip overseas.
4: Excellent. It's great to speak, and um, really look forward to catching up again
0: soon. Ditto. The wonderful Neil Farrow. There you are and in your face on 3CR. And here's the latest from Just Shy. This track's called Sea Can't Cure. And you're on 3CR.
2: There are some countdowns that even the sea can't cure. I surrender myself when I hear the sirens of there are some come downs that nobody's love can fix. I pretend to myself that it helps when you kiss my lips. Come up for air and I know that I stayed out way too late. The waves crash over me, it's clear I made a big mistake. I'm going under, I think that I might just suffocate, baby. Sing. Broken bravado, falling apart of a fantasy. Now I'm caught up in a tidal wave of anxiety. Save me. I found a public display of affection and a load of questions thrown back in my face. I know I was lacking discretion with each recollection. I'm feeling ashamed. But there are some come downs that even the sea can't cure. I surrender myself when I hear the sirens
6: oar.
2: There are some come downs that nobody's love can fix I pretend to myself that it helps when you kiss my lips Why would I When I'm already drunk, it's a way to avoid all the things that I've done. Don't remember dancing in the dark, but I'm feeling it today. Why would I want to sing when I'm already sad? No surprise to me after the night that I've had. Now I'm begging of the ocean just to wash my sins away. Oh, 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 oh. Pull me to the ocean floor oh, 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 oh. Promise me, you'll never do this again Gotta promise me, close your eyes and count to ten Gotta promise me, you'll never do this again Gotta promise me, close your eyes and count to ten There are some downs that even the sea can't cure I surrender myself when I hear the sirens. There are some come downs that nobody's love can fix. I pretend to myself that it helps when you kiss my lips. There are some come downs that even the
0: He's a great songwriter, local gay artist, just shy there with his new track, Sea Can't Cure. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. I am joined by theatre director Bronwyn Coleman from the Anthropocene Play Company, whose production of Uncle Vanya is happening at Theatre Works from June 7 to 17. Uh, Bronwyn, great to have you on the show.
5: Oh, thank you. It's great to be here.
0: Uncle Vanya by Chekhov. What a wonderful play to direct.
5: Oh, it's an absolute treat. Yeah, I actually was exposed to it about, well, I'm hesitant to say how long ago, because it will seriously age me. (laughs) But uh, back in New York, where I did my master's degree, um, I remember when we first studied Chekhov. And um, I was lucky enough to work on that play. And I fell in love with it back then. So ever since, I've been looking for an opportunity to work on it more deeply. And this is like Fantastic.
0: Yeah. And Chekhov, I mean, what a legendary Russian uh, playwright. Tell us a little bit about him.
5: Oh, so Anton Chekhov was by trade a doctor. And um, it it seems a little counterintuitive, but he started writing to make money. You know, (laughs) these days it's kind of the other way around. Like we, you know, we we have our uh, main gig and then we write on the side. Um, as our dream job. But for him, he trained as a doctor and then while he was in medical school kind of um, started writing these little sketches um, for these magazines that were becoming popular at the time and was able to make quite a good living doing it and was able to support his family. Um, And he was apparently an incredibly charismatic figure. Like, he was apparently very good-looking, extremely charming, Um, had an amazing sense of humour, had this incredible sense of the world um, larger than himself. So was often thinking about, like, what is the legacy I'm leaving? And part of the reason for that was because at a young age, he contracted TB and um, that unfortunately killed him when he was only, oh, I... Sorry, I'm going to forget the exact... Isn't that
0: 44, correct, according to Wikipedia. 44. So young.
5: There we go. 44, yeah. So when he was working on his plays, which he wrote sort of later in his life for the most part, the most famous ones were written later, he already had an awareness that he was dying. So this sense of mortality is very much in his plays. Um, yeah, yeah, but he was... It often, you know, those dinner party situations where people are like, hey, if you could have um, met anyone throughout history, who would it be? For me, it was, it was Anton Chekhov.
0: That sense of confronting one's mortality, which permeates the play, must be so interesting for you as a director, particularly as you use the method acting with your with your casts to really kind of you know dig deep and find out what's happening for them emotionally. Wow how how are you how are you and the cast like going on this issue like you know mortality must be something that's coming up a lot.
5: Oh, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that. We, as humans, are often in situations where the stakes feel extremely high, and even if that's just somebody cutting you off for a car park, <laughs> and you're getting really upset about it, and suddenly that causing you to reflect on, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? Like, that, that sort of musing, I guess, is, is in the play. Um, so... We, we all have our experience with that to some degree or another. And I think in terms of staging the play, that's where I've really thought about how can I stage the play in such a way that we have a sense of kind of the sublime, I guess, like this, this sort of energy or this thing beyond us. And so what I've done, not, not to give too much away, but what I'm sort of doing with the set is that there'll be a playing area where the scenes take place. But outside of the playing area, is kind of a void, Where there's this jumble of like, you know, old pieces of broken furniture and like half lit lamps. And the actors will actually be sitting out there as they wait to come on stage. So there's this sort of juxtaposition of like the life and the clarity of what we see on the playing space. And then this sort of shadowy world beyond it, where sort of like a purgatory where we're just waiting for our time to, to come on. It sounds, yeah.
0: it sounds visually spectacular and how amazing to have that visual with all of the emotion of Uncle Vanya and the intrigue as well.
5: Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, I, I feel like everything, in, ideally everything is working together. You know, ideally the, you know, the way that the set is and the way that the acting is and the way that the music is somehow are all the same thing and I think that's probably my biggest challenge as a director is how do I how do I make this cohesive um you know cohesive thing where the separate elements are meaningful in and of themselves but together they they create something that's impactful yeah yeah
0: there's some gender bending, bending going on with the play as well. You've got the wonderful Kat Morville playing the role of Astrov, which was traditionally played by a man.
5: Yes, I'm thrilled to have Kat as Astrov. Yeah, in fact, we have changed the name. We've just added an A, Astrova, to make it feminine in the Russian. Um, so Kat, because we're an ensemble company, so when we are going to do a play, we'll sort of say to the actors, okay. Um, Who wants to do what? And then people put their hands up for different roles. And Kat actually volunteered to play Astrova. And I thought, okay, okay, what does it mean to have a woman in that role? Um, What do the different sort of relationships mean? What does it mean ideologically? Um, What does it mean sort of philosophically? And I felt like I was really comfortable with all those things, what it meant. And so yeah, a Cat is playing Estrova. and it means that our main the main kind of love triangle in the play is now a queer love triangle and we're really thrilled about that. I feel like Chekhov was writing about the people he knew. It was very specific. The characters were very specific and I think he'd really approve of our choice.
0: How wonderful, a queer love triangle. Tell us more.
5: Yeah. Yeah. So um oh, so in the play There is uh, Sonia, who is in love quietly, in in an unrequited way with Astrova. And then Astrova uh, has her eye caught by Ileana, who is this gorgeous uh, wife of the professor who's kind of come back from the city to disrupt life in this country house where they're all living. So Ileana is described as having mermaid blood flowing in her veins. So she's supposed to be, like, beautiful in this otherworldly kind of way. Um, so I don't want to give away kind of what happens at the end. <laughs> but, yeah, there's this, this gorgeous triangle between them where everybody's kind of trying to figure out, like, what the other person is thinking.
0: And yeah, yeah. The agitator character sounds really quite fun. Fun for the person playing it, but also um, adding spice to the play. Yes, and sorry, which, which character is that? The agitator, the one that's come, come along to stir things up a bit.
5: Diana, yes. Yes, she is. And, and so she's played by Pia Omedra, um, who is one of the founding members of the company. And Pia herself, she, ah, she'd get really embarrassed if she was here, but she's gorgeous. She has this long blonde hair, long red hair, I'm excuse me, long red hair and like um, this sort of milky, pale complexion. And she has a sort of an otherworldly quality that's really, really right for that past. Um, and she, the, the character is in a difficult situation because she herself is not particularly aware of her beauty. She sort of comes in and is just trying to live her life like everybody else, but everybody falls in love with her, and then people get jealous of her, and, and she's sort of on the receiving end of all of this vitriol because of just who she is.
0: It sounds like it's a great strength of the, the Anthropocene uh, Play Company to actually be, be a unit that keeps producing plays with the same cast. I mean, what a strength that must be for, for, for the team, but also for you as a director because you know you know them as people. And with your method acting kind of, you know, approach, that must give you great kind of emotional infrastructure to kind of delve and encourage and bring stuff out.
5: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's really great for me to know the cast. I think the early part of rehearsal is often about, like, at least from my perspective, what it feels like is me establishing that I can be trusted as a director. <laughs> so, you know, in theory, these guys hopefully already trust me when they come in, so we can kind of get right into the work, roll a pass, these and get into the work, and it- I think I do know them as actors quite well. So I know, um, yeah, kind of what their strengths are and what, what roles might really allow them to to shine. Yeah.
0: I'd love to be a fly on the wall during your rehearsals to see how the characters evolve. But also just to see, you know, what kind of goes into bringing out uh, these emotions. Like, I'd love to see you work with rehearsals. I'd love to see you kind of, you know, practicing your craft because you're, you're renowned for it.
5: Oh, that's really kind of you to say. Yeah, I mean, I guess we always start with the actor. So, I get, you know, there's this idea in acting that you might work from the outside in or from the inside out. And some people say that the more British approach is from the outside in um, and the more American approach is from the inside out. Um, My training, you know, was with Elizabeth Kemp um, at the Actor's Studio in New York, and we definitely work from the inside out. So the idea is, what would it be like to be in the character's circumstances? So if I, Bronwyn, was in 1897... And um, I'd married somebody a lot older than myself and that person was really super unwell and then I'd been dragged out to their country house where all their boring relatives lived and I didn't know anybody. Um, you know, what would I feel like and what, what, might, what sort of behaviours might I have? So that's sort of the, the question that we start with. And then there's a whole bunch of exercises that we do, which I won't bore you with, <laughs> where, where we sort of learn to really identify with the character and then through that identification and then through a whole bunch of research. So what would it really like to have lived back then? um, The character is kind of, you know, born.
0: Are the cast giving you any big surprises with what they come up with uh, to those questions and how they kind of express it?
5: Yeah, always actually. It's, it's, it's really cool. I think because this is such a big play, I, I, I did a lot of thinking about it. I mean, as you do with any play, I guess, but I'd say more so with this play. I really, really was rigorously looking at the text before we started rehearsal. So in a lot of instances, I had an idea of the way I thought a scene should be played. And that's actually not the way I usually work. Usually I look at the scene and I think, ah, I think this character's probably fighting for this thing and this one's probably fighting for this thing. And then let's see what happens when the actors try that, because it's going to look different depending on who's playing the role. Um, and I guess having thought so carefully about, yeah, what this play might be, when I came into rehearsal, I, I was surprised a number of times by what the actors brought. Um, and in a, in a really good way, I think particularly with Kat as Astrova, um, you know, she she's wonderful. She's got this... Almost puck-like quality in the role, which is delightful for Astrova. Astroba's is supposed to be a bit of an outsider. He's not actually; she's not related to the family. She's well, a doctor like um, like Chekhov was, um, who stops by and visits. And um, yeah, Kat brings a lovely quality that I could never have really imagined. So, imagined beforehand. So
0: when you say puck, puck from A Midsummer Night's Dream from Shakespeare.
5: Yeah. Wow. Puck, yeah. <laughs>
0: that is fun
5: it is fun yeah but it says a
0: lot about Chekhov's writing that you you know you're having to change your approach because it's got you thinking so much
5: oh definitely I mean it is so detailed and psychologically dense but in a really wonderful way so the direction of a scene will change because of the way somebody talks to the other person and the response that they have and that's I mean, that's true in life. Often we're affected by the way, um, you know, the interactions we have. The the, the whole tone of the day might change if you get into an argument with somebody. Um, And in in great writing, that's the case. But I guess Chekhov is a master because those fluid, little, subtle transitions are just constantly happening in the work. And part of the work of bringing it to life is uh, drawing out those transitions um, and and embodying them in a truthful way.
0: Uncle Vanya sounds truly fascinating. It's happening at Theatre Works, June 7 to 17. Broman Coleman from the Anthropocene Play Company, thank you so much for chatting with me today on 3CR. It sounds like an extraordinary production of Chekhov.
5: Oh, that's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: The wonderful Bronwyn Coleman there. And he's Mazzy Starr.
6: ¡Qué sí, sí. Oh
0: vocals there of Hope Sandoval, Mazzy Star there, Flowers in December and we'll catch you next week on In Your Face. In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook.